Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. For years past, our industry had been strangled by the exchange value of our money. You know what? This something-for-nothing economics isn't conservative, uh, it's uh, socialism. It's not a debt crisis. Britain is not Greece, it's not Argentina. You issue the currency in which you borrow, and that means that um, uh, you are never going to have the problems that Greece had or Argentina did. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, one of the biggest problems that Britain faces is that so much of the wealth is concentrated in the southeast, and it only seems to be getting worse. So how can you have an efficient economy when one part of the country is subsidising the rest? And while we're on that, whatever happened to the levelling up agenda, it seems to have been tossed aside and thrown in the too difficult basket. So what should be done? That's this week on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Welcome along. So now Boris has gone, you know, that that false promise of levelling up his agenda that managed to cajole a few Labour supporters to vote Tory for the first time in the north of England. Uh, That seems to have gone with him, Uh, although Rishi Sunak has done his bit, I have to say, to help the north of England, because, you know, at least for swimming pool installers... Uh, they to got get away a, from the rivers, which are too polluted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, but also he's put, built this swimming pool in his house, and for oh, that mm. they needed to up the uh, the power at the local power station. So he employed a few power workers as well to get enough energy to uh, heat his new swimming pool. So mm. there's some jobs being created in the north of England just by having uh, Rishi Sunak and his vast wealth there. Uh, so a little bit of a growth pole, perhaps, in Richmond, in uh, in North Yorkshire. But generally, the UK's wealth is very concentrated in the southeast and you know pretty much has been since the end of the industrial revolution of course mm. i mean actually maybe and certainly since the 80s it has become far more pronounced um and that is because obviously a chunk of the uk is now dominated by the financial services sector that's the thing yeah well-paid people who have nice houses in the south of England uh, where the weather is better and uh, obviously the weather's better it's, it's better for playing golf uh, so you're never going to get them to move out of the southeast. so Steve is that always going to be the way in the UK do you well, think? I was actually in Barcelona recently and what, uh, there was a, a quiz at the conference I was speaking at uh, about what the various names of Barcelona were and one of them was the Manchester on the Mediterranean <laughs> which is correct okay that's what's one way Barcelona was was regarded the Manchester on the Mediterranean. Why Manchester? Because that's where a huge part of the industrialization of the UK occurred. Mm. So Manchester was an industrial powerhouse. Edinburgh and Glasgow uh, and others were industrial powerhouses during the days of the Industrial Revolution. And you you do have you know, other countries which have numerous centres where different industries are dominant. Um, the, the, the 
the work of Michael Porter, what he called the competitive advantage of nations, not the comparative advantage, which is nonsense, but the competitive advantage, which is genuine, found that most, when you looked at a country and said, why does a country produce a particular commodity better than anybody else does? It was normally because of regional rivalries in a particular city. Hmm. So if you look at, for example, Italy used to be associated with fast cars, you know, the Lamborghini, Ferrari, Maserati, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they were actually originally tractor manufacturers. Yeah. And then they started, each family was competing with each other in the tractors. Tractors gradually got faster. Huh? Huh? The, the tractors gradually got faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, those tractor races, they were great fun, weren't they? And then, <laughs> they, happened and in then America they started still. to streamline them a bit, and there we were with Formula One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, th so it was actually, it, it tends to be regional uh, innovation mm. that leads to an industrial cluster developing, and then you'll associate an entire country with that product, but it's actually just a tiny part of the country that has that manufacturing capability and that competitive pressure. Um, so you, you, you can't just sort of say in general you want to spread industry all over a country. Um, uh, what you have to have is those... Because of the agglomeration effect, basically. Yeah, yeah. An agglomer but an agglomeration can be distributed across a country in different locations. So, like in, in car manufacturing, it was you know, one small number of, of towns in the north of Italy that became dominant that way. Uh, you could see... By making uh, bits of the car. Huh? Yeah, and then one might focus on wheels and somebody else ashtrays and... Uh, <laughs> Oh. And textiles and, mm. you know, yeah. uh, and, and so the uh, Rubik's Cubes. I mean, it, it, it's possible to imagine a distributed set of innovations so the different regions become dominant innovators in that area. And therefore, you've got it with a diversified industrial structure. You can have a diversified a residential structure as well. You know, it'd be worth living in Manchester because it's the production hub for X and then Glasgow for Y and so on. But if it's everything... The reason I mentioned ashtrays, by the way, huh? is because that was always... The, the, the reason I Ashtray. mentioned ashtrays was because that was the argument for Airbus would, you know, could be a pan-European business where, for example, you know, the engines are made in Germany. I'm not sure what France makes, but it's pulling it all together, obviously. Mm. Maybe uh, maybe the um, the fabrics are made in, in Italy. Yeah. And, yeah... The UK would make the ashtrays. That would probably be yeah. our contribution. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But yeah, so that so that idea that you've got, was, but that's not happening now in the UK. I mean, we're not getting that that growth. Manchester is no longer, you know, no. the, the industrial centre it was. I'm not sure where Barcelona is right now, but. Uh, uh, you know, better than Manchester. A, last time I went, <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's. Um, you need a diversified industrial structure and and and, and pressure on innovation. Uh, then you can get a distributed population centres where different regions uh, are dominant in different industries, and that gives you a capacity for a diversified society. But Britain, by making the choice to go entirely services, it's all in London, it's all the city, and the productivity, inverted commas, you measure there, is actually uh, simply adding up the wages that are paid and the, and the profits that are made by the firms, and we call that the output of the sector. Yeah, It's, it's, it's a totally artificial measure of that one sector, but that dominates the entire economy. And of course, it's so extreme, isn't it? So the GDP per head in 2021, the GDP per head was 55,000 in London, 34,000 in the southeast, 28,000 in the northwest, including Manchester, mm. 26,000 in Yorkshire, and less than 24,000 in the northeast and in Wales. So northeast, much mm. less than half the GDP per head mm. in London. 
It's a huge regional variation, isn't it? Yeah, and a lot, a lot of it comes down to gigantic salaries being paid in 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 um, London in, in mm. the finance sector. It, yeah, it's not productivity; it's the huge wages. So it becomes a bargaining power thing. The finance sector has persuaded everybody that it serves ridiculous pay rates, and they get them. They've got the bargaining power to get it. The workers in Manchester got screwed by shutting down the coal mines initially. Uh, and then the, the shutdown of the manufacturing sector as well. And once that's done, you don't have the skill base anymore uh, in amongst the workers to encourage manufacturers to decide to put, start to develop building a plant there. So you, you, again, it comes back to investment. You've got to find uh, a way to motivate the investment. America's getting a lot of that now because of a relocation of production from China. Mm, back. Yeah. Of, yeah. Plus you've also got them. Because of the Donald, growth. good old <laughs> Donald Trump bringing it all back. <laughs> I'm going to let that one go through to the keeper. Uh, but, but like a, equally with I'm the, sure he's claiming the credit for it. I'm sure he would be. But like the, the growth of, of, of innovation in aerospace right now mm. uh, is quite remarkable. So 3D printing works beautifully in aerospace. It's much much more complicated to bring into other manufacturing processes. But uh, that that's turning up and meaning that you're getting a, a boost in uh, aerospace in, in, in industry across because it's large complex parts of America. complex and small volumes that yeah, would be it yeah, it? yeah, yeah. You're not. and and also really benefits from the latest in high technology mm. New Zealand has got a major contributor competitor in the aerospace industry electric cars so back to musk again uh, that's forcing innovation not just on and in his factories, the gigafactories, but also the existing manufacturers are looking at having to retool for that um, so all that type of stuff can give you a distributed bunch of in industries across a wide swathe of a country. But the UK, without the manufacturing base, again, is not going to be able to diversify away from the south of England. And that, that difference of GDP per head being twice what it is, uh, half what it is in London in, in, the, in the northeast of England is quite staggering, isn't it? Although mm. I'm not sure if it's always the most useful measure, looking at GDP per capita. Because if you look at Australia, for example, then uh, because of the mining industry, which mm. obviously is very intensive in terms of in terms of uh, infrastructure investment, yep. uh, with very few people working in it, one hundred thirty-seven thousand is the GDP per head in WA. It's eighty-one thousand in New South Wales and seventy-six thousand in Victoria. So WA has a GDP per capita which is, you know, getting on for double what it is in Victoria. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't know that, would you, knowing those states? Well, you, you, the you'd relative think the other way around. Is, you'd mm. think the other way around. But again, that comes down to the machines. Yeah. And like when you look at this, the scale of machines that are involved in mining, are absolutely gigantic. Yeah. Humans are you a small part of it. You see those massive trucks driving themselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so you get a, you therefore get a huge, your labour, inverted commas, productivity looks enormous. It, it comes down to the machines that mm. are being used. And, you know, machines being used in Western Australia are much larger than than uh, the machines that are used in manufacturing and any other industry in New South Wales. So you get those distorted figures for labour productivity turning up out of that. So the problem of regional disparity is is that it becomes a bit ingrained, doesn't it? So people don't necessarily, uh, you know, the, the people in, in those regional areas, wherever we're talking about, very often don't want to move away because they don't want to move from their families. Mm. Uh, and if everyone moved to where the money is being made, like if everyone from Manchester moved down to London, then that would mm. just add to the disparity. It would just get worse, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, and regions become neglected. Uh, so uh, I'm not, you know, then you get the argument, well, we're not going to invest in those areas because productivity is so low. People mm. must not be used to working very effectively. So the incentive to invest isn't there. 
so, you know, you get less investment happening. It becomes a downward cycle, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, and like I've seen that in, in, usually in, in Europe. I remember being picked up by in, in Zagreb and driven to a conference in another city in Croatia. And we went through a few villages and my host just randomly said, oh, that village is empty. Literally nobody in it. And the reason is people are moving out of there towards the capital. So it isn't just exclusively a UK problem that... um and particularly it comes out of having a, a service-dominated economy again because the service sector tends to be just in the capital city um, and, and you then forget the regions. And yet if you have a, you know, a distribution of manufacturing and agricultural systems, then you can have those regions still thriving, even though the city is the major agglomeration. So China's not a good, probably was a good example, but it's not. I don't think this is a good example anymore as a case study for for this because a lot of money was invested in real estate in regional China through so-called local government finance vehicles that were backed mm-hmm. by banks and uh, some institutional uh, bond investors mm-hmm. as well. Uh, but largely, it was created money, wasn't it? That was there to try and pump up the supply of. Housing and well, that, that happened after the financial crisis here, yeah, because like when when two thousand and eight hit, I think China's exports fell by almost forty percent mm. in one year. So they realised they had to get you know you, you don't want unemployed peasants in China. Yeah, yeah not a healthy political. So we'll build situation. houses and we'll build factories yeah. or whatever. But, but, and, and but before it would that, build it and they'll come, but they didn't, and so lots of these houses stayed empty. Yeah, and no, the, how the, that was always going to be a, like a ghost cities, and I've I've seen them. I know what they're like. And that was because there's no control. I mean, there's no financial control. Well, the financial control was actually imposed to say that you know give everybody with a pulse a loan and start getting. Uh, construction burden right. to make up for the lack of exports. So, right. well, it was ideally, it. preferably human with a pulse, but huh? not necessarily. Huh? I've got a pet dog. My chihuahua has got a loan as well. Is <laughs> it uh, anyone who could get a loan? Is what you were saying? Not quite that bad. Anyone human, but yeah, uh, but but China also is massively focused upon uh, industrial development, obviously, and. Uh, because it's, I think there's about 25 major provinces in China, and the provincial governments each try to to, to maintain uh, have industry for their own people. So you've got a large number of industrial sectors scattered throughout the entire country, uh, and, to, and to maybe to some extent it's a reflection that in the UK there's the UK government and that's it. Your local councils are incredibly weak. Uh, you don't have any countervailing power. Uh, at the at the local level, so is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think though? it's a bad thing. Yeah, I think actually would like to some extent some local capacity to put pressure uh, to to actually have people who want to invest somewhere to try to get the investment going forward, putting you know, government government money into infrastructure and so on. So yeah, a stronger local council system. If you've got the expertise, I've got one word to you on this. That word is woking. Is Woking. Uh, yes, because okay. Woking Council, they invested in the commercial property market. I mean, they were using council money, which they didn't have. But they thought, well, if we invest in commercial property and we build lots of apartments, then we can be almost like the you know the new Singapore. Just outside London, uh, everyone will thank us for it, and uh, won't we be marvellous? Instead, they ended up with a £1.2 million pound Billion pounds, sorry. Billion pound. Billion pound hole in their budget. The cost of servicing that debt now is more than they are raking in in council tax. Mm. Uh, so basically, it's a Conservative Party-held uh, government, that uh, a council. Um, 
So they've got to spend all their money servicing their debt before they can actually start spending money on services. And so working is going to sleep as a result. We, we, okay. Exactly. And these mm. big, empty office blocks. So as you drive uh, from here, you can yeah. actually look in the distance and you can see this glimmering city in this, across this plain. You see it just shining there. Mm. That's Woking. But those buildings are empty. <laughs> and the government is, uh, is bankrupt. And that is because they, I don't know where the money came from, mm. but they got investors involved somehow. And it was, it was all like, property speculation and building, building high rises. And it, yeah. was, and it was lack of expertise, I think, on the mm. part. So the mm. danger is you've got to have, if you're, going to, if you're going to give the ability for local councils or county councils or whoever, some sort of devolved responsibility, you've got to have the expertise there. And that expertise doesn't exist because they've not been confronted with that opportunity And before. you've also got the, you know, the need for the manufacturers as well, the, fir the firms, the engineers in a region too. That's why I, I think I find Michael, Michael Porter's book a very useful guide to what actually leads to industrial development. And it's, it's quirky. It comes down to having a, an entrepreneur or an engineer in some region. Mm. Uh, and often it's, it's more than one. It has to be some competitive attitude between the two. So the example of Lamborghini versus Ferrari versus Maserati and so on. Um, it was a, there was a, a market for cars at the time. And, and they were attractive manufacturers with a solid base that way, and they could innovate in their spare time and make fast vehicles to sell to the wealthy landowners in the region and bang that competition is what led to them becoming, for a while, the dominant uh, manufacturers of high-performance vehicles. So it's, it's that combination of a, a number of engineers in, 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 a, in, in a certain region who want to stay in that region... Um, and then coming with the up. responsibility and the money. That's yeah, the that's yeah. the issue now. And then, it, and then it becomes the question of you know, it becomes a question of administration. And I want to look mm. at that when we when we come back to, for mm. example, does the North of England, yeah, will it would it benefit from not being the North of England anymore, but being its own country, for example? Do we break things down, or you know, or at least a separate administrative region? We'll look at whether that would help when we come back on the debunking economics podcast. Steve Keane sitting opposite me. I'm Phil Dobby. We are coming. We're going to. We're going to go away, but we'll be back again very, very quickly. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So we 
are looking at uh, the regional divide. We're talking about the UK, but it really applies in many other parts of the world to, to a lesser extent, I guess, in, uh, in Australia, but it's still there, obviously. Mm. In fact, in Australia, it's pretty much capital state capitals versus the rest of the state isn't it really I mean, yeah, the, the, I mean Australia is quite peculiar because it's it's major cities are more than 10 times the size of the next largest city in that state yeah um, and uh, the normal ratio is about a three to one so Australia is about 10 to one so it's extremely concentrated geographically and you you, you drive out of uh, out of Sydney and New South Wales and you instantly see Wealth disappear, don't you? I mean, it's it's quite staggering. In fact, the you know small town Australia is very different from capital city Australia in terms of the people, in terms of the uh, you know the, just the amount of money that you can see mm-hmm. in those yep. those economies is quite staggering. Now, look, the uh, the Chartered Institute of Public Finance and Accountancy. I already I can see your eyes glazing over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they looked at how regional inequality could be addressed, looking at overseas examples like Fukuoka. Yes, I said that right. In Japan, uh, Cleveland in the United States, Leipzig in Germany and Nantes in France. They found successful outcomes for getting regional inequality addressed. And this isn't rocket science. Places that had a clear vision and well-defined strategy with the political will and a charismatic mayor or leader in that area. Mm. And actually, I think that last one a charismatic mayor. I think Boris Johnson is looking for a job. <laughs> well, maybe he should move up to Manchester. I think Manchester's got one, actually. But, I mean, if you've, if you've got... That is a big part of it, isn't it? Having a spokesperson for a region who, can, mm. who actually knows what they're talking about, yeah. who can actually encourage people to invest in, in that region. But to do that, they've got to have power as well. They've got to have the ability to And to you make haven't decisions. got that power in the UK. Though. And this is one thing that I realised when I, when I first moved here. With the, the way austerity was imposed was by reducing the amount of money that councils got from the federal government. Yeah. And then that they're completely dependent on that federal government revenue. And so they were, rather than being the way to develop the country, they're the way to impose austerity on the country. Maybe it should work the other way around. Maybe the local government should, should collect all the tax, including the income tax, and then choose how much they want to pass up to the federal government. Maybe that's the way to do it. Let's not get caught up in that one. That's going to be that MMT my head off at the moment. But yeah, uh, you, you, you do. If you're going to have regional distribution of industry, you've got to have regional distribution of power as well, political and and otherwise. And uh, the UK system, everything is focused upon London. Mm. Uh, and like a huge part of the, if you look at the, the growth of, 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 of uh, neoliberalism, uh, in the UK, a huge part of it was crushing the trade unions, particularly the mining trade unions. And that meant you were, because of the, most of the mining, you know, places like Manchester and so on, uh, th- that just broke the back of the political system there. And so once you've broken it, it's very, very hard to rebuild that, you know, that drive to have a, a, a powerful local economy. Do you remember a month or two ago we were we were talking about cities in the United States and both of both of us I think were sort of appalled at the idea that you had I mean, with cities basically self-financing in the United States, almost run as, as private entities, aren't they? And the the idea that mm. they would be trying to attract investment so they'd be competing against each other yeah. uh, to try and bring investment into their city. And we were, we were both saying, well, what a crazy idea. You know, they're both in the same country and you're actually pitching against each other and spending more and more money to try and get a, a business into, into your city when really you just want to see it in the country somehow. Um, and yet... 
You need a countervailing power to some extent. Yeah, mm. the I, the idea because because we're the opposite extreme in the, in the UK. So mm. councils, they I mean they are they've got a history of just working to satisfy you know what they'd see as their customers needs their residents so they'll you know they'll be looking at garbage collection library schools mm. they won't have any expertise at attracting investment as clearly the case in in working well yeah. actually working very good at attracting investment but actually worthwhile investment uh, that's sustainable not any experience at all or helping to establish new industries uh you know or or having a plan you know, which is what that that paper from the Chartered Institute of Public Finance and Accountancy. You know, having that clear vision, of strategy, mm. the political will, and a charismatic leader, mm. uh, and you can see that that would be the way forward. But can you do that in the current structure? You could do, for example, if the North of England was a country of its own, uh, because you'd have the leader of that country. Uh, maybe you don't have to go all that way, but I, I, I just wonder, so long as you've got this dominant one centre in the mm. southeast of England, is the whole of Britain being held back by that? And is, is it better, actually, just to break the country up? <laughs> and I talk as a north of Englander here. I tell you, there'd probably be a quite a bit of support for that idea. You mean more than just Scotland? Yeah, well, I think if Scotland broke, that would be the beginning but, I mean, would, would Scotland survive? That's the question. And the answer is probably it would because it would attract investment because there would it's, be that. It's, because it's, be yeah, the, I mean, the, the issue then comes, you know, my, my feeling comes down to the importance of uh, having a, at least not running a huge trade deficit, you know, not me needing money from overseas all the time. So I'm not going to go down that particular route. I think if, you know, it's too, too, a step too far. Except, but but yeah. you would have, but you would, uh, but presumably. There, there, there's an advantage to economies of scale. Mm. And this is one of the reasons why you do get agglomerations. Um, but then, uh, but with that economies of scale, is entirely focused in the south of England. That's the trouble because yeah. I mean, if you have a diversified, if you have an industry, if you have a sector economy focused just upon services, mm. then you're pretty much going to have one financial sector that dominates, and therefore there'll be one city that's huge. If you have manufacturing, you can have a range of different industries which happen to have regional strengths and regional, uh, well. Strengths for some industries, weaknesses in the same spot. So you'll have your your textiles might be focused in Lancaster, and your um, machine tools might be factored in 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 Manchester, and so on. Um, so you need with in, in industrial structure and industrial economy gives you the capacity for diversity, and that diversity can be regional. As, as well as industrial. But if you have just a services sector, then it's almost certainly going to be based in your capital city. Yeah. So you've got, to, again, the, the move towards the services-based economy, I think is one major reason why the UK has got its regional problems. But if Scotland was, was a separate, separate country, well, let's not worry about the North England just now. Let's just focus on Scotland. Scots, so so, so Scots, Scotland yeah. becomes a separate country, which we'll call Scotland. And uh, what a radical choice of name! <laughs> no, right? and it's and it has its own government and it maybe has its own currency. Mm. Uh, you know, a, a totally sovereign nation. Okay, is it too small to get economies of scale? Well, there's lots of other smaller countries around the world. It might take a few years to get there, but if it if it attracts investment because maybe labour costs are lower in Scotland. It's got a ready supply of fresh water, which some industries might want. Uh, it's got a few industries which are very unique to Scotland, like the uh, distilleries, you know, which are, could be built on perhaps in some mm. way to uh, to further other industries. Uh, it, yeah, it does have, if we decide we want to keep on getting North Sea oil, it's got oil resources. If not, it's got, you know, uh, windy seas for wind mm. farms, uh, which it could export to the rest of the UK, for example, uh, mm. to help its balance of trade. Um 
it would it would mean it's standing on its own feet. Give it a charismatic leader, ideally one who's not fiddling the books and mm. uh, either deliberately or otherwise. And uh, you know you've you've got the the makings of breaking out from that concentration in the southeast of England. Well, you may be forced into it, and a large reason for it is the Scottish attitude that everything is focused in London, and the country's run for the well, benefit of London. It's not that attitude; it's a fact. Yeah. It's a fact. It's a fact. Okay. It's, okay. Oh, feeling. Facts can be. <laughs> facts have feelings too. Um, so yeah, you can you can see that you know, the regional disparities caused by again the focus on a service economy uh, a large major reason for the sentiment for breaking away in Scotland. My worry would be you know, it's got to have its own currency if it ever does that. And uh, would it be viable enough in a sort of essential industries, including food production, uh, to be self-sufficient when necessary? Because I think that's going to be vital in coming coming years. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ambivalent on that particular issue. But you, back to your point about a charismatic local leader and a, a vision of the local area, if you don't have that, then yes, people will move away. Uh, and, you know, they're feeling there's no future in a particular region. And you can see that, uh, you know, even even in parts of France, you can see the same attitude. Um, the, 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 well, those charismatic leaders have already moved down south. That's the problem, isn't it? Hmm. I, mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, if you've got if you've got charisma and go in you and you live in the north of England, you probably unless you really are a strong supporter of the case for the for the north of England, you will have moved to where the money is for a better paying job, wouldn't you? That's mm. that's the, the that's the sad truth. But sorry, I interrupted your French example. Sorry, <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> rare, one of those. I was, thinking of your, I was thinking of your Galloway example for a moment <laughs> there, as you were using a particular analogy. But yeah, it's uh, there. There has to be something that won't. Doesn't he live in Russia these days? Huh? That doesn't matter. Carry on. <laughs> well, that'll go down well. Um, yeah, it's you, you, again. You've you've got to again. Manufacturing enables you to have that diversity. Services will not. So the main move I'd see for the UK is getting back to trying to manufacture more, not rely upon imports, uh, mm. and and therefore that that requires like economies of scale to make it viable to do it. So you'd want to have still a integrated economy. I wouldn't want to see it being broken into smaller units than it's currently in. Uh, but you then have to have the diversity of manufacturing bases in different parts of the country to hold people in those parts, otherwise everything aggregates to London. But getting away from a services sector, I think, is the very first step. Well, if you went from services to manufacturing, you probably would base the manufacturing up in the north of England because, you'd be paying, first of all, you've got the space and you've got the lower wages. It's just the fact that that sector doesn't exist. I mean, if it did exist, then it probably would be. Yeah, It would, yeah. would be outside the southeast, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. But because the southeast would be too expensive to Yep, the to land's set up too there. expensive here. You, you yeah. haven't got the, um, the, the scale of, of water resources and energy resources and so on. Mm. So, yeah, manufacturing would be the way to go, but that's not the way that Britain has gone. Mm. And nor, as I think, as you said last week, nor will it ever, probably. The horse is already bolted. Well, you'd be forced into it. If you find, you know, if globalisation, which relies upon cheap oil mm. and cheap oil transportation, if that goes down the gurgler, you've got to manufacture the goods closer to home, uh, then you will, the deglobalisation is likely to reach uh, uh, the regrowth of regions. So the government has talked about uh, these free ports, hasn't it, which it's setting up uh, around the country. So does that is that a good idea? Does that help? I'm no great fan of it in terms of you know, evading, uh, using it to um, 
you know, have cheap labour to um, and evading labour regulations and so on, which is the way a lot of those systems first came in. Uh, so, I'm, I'm, but you, 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 to, you, what you want to get is that innovation and investment going once more. Mm. And free ports were one way that it was done successfully by countries like China. Uh, I don't know that that's going to be the solution in the area of globalization of deglobalization. You would need you know, domestic decisions to produce what you need domestically. And that is, free ports aren't, aren't the way to do it. So how do you kickstart? How do you, because if, if the idea is, well, if we had a manufacturing base, it would move north. We'd start to see that disparity differ. But obviously one of the attractions of the, the north would be that labour's cheaper. Mm. So actually that disparity would be helping to drive that, that investment. But how do you kickstart it? I mean, because what would, for example, if we were to manufacture stuff in the UK, what would we make? Because <laughs> <laughs> we're so used to not making anything now. That's it's, the trouble. I mean, you, you've, it's very hard to re- reverse deindustrialization, hmm. and that that's what the West has done during the period of globalization. They've, they've pushed all the industrial jobs uh, into, the, into the, not all, but most of them into the third world. And what's left is a, is a service sector runt uh, and, and some local uh, repair cap- capability and assembly capability, but not the engineering in the very first instance. So if you realize, well, you can't import those things anymore, you've got to make them domestically, uh, then you've got an enormous training uh, deficit to catch up on mm. to train the engineers and to start building the the, the 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 machine tools you need for the manufacturing, and that's uh, it's a huge turnaround. Okay, I'm, I'm, I take your point about the economies of scale by keeping it all within the one country, but we could devolve more responsibility, couldn't we? So I we think could, that's that's essential. I mean, if, uh, we could, we could allow for mayors of particular yeah, the, towns. The, I mean, the extent to which the UK is dominated by London mm. uh, is dramatic. I mean, other countries like you know, Amsterdam is important in the Netherlands, but so is the Hague and so is Utrecht, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, and, and you... And Paris is obviously vital in France, but you get Lyon, you have your other other regions that are essential and have different industries which are focused in those regions. Uh, you know, the dominance of London, the dominance of the service sector, I think the UK has two major problems. Yeah. So, uh, and what about a bit more money up there as well? Yeah, so money, yeah, you've got to put the money there. And that's... that's but I mean, uh, not just investment money, but government money government as well. Government money, which yeah. could Which could either be by saying, yes, we're going to give more money uh, in uh, in the form of funding uh, local councils. But it could also be just, you know, one quick way of getting money out around the country, universally the same everywhere, is to say, well, okay, let's pay nurses more because they're mm. everywhere. Let's pay police more. Everywhere where there's a public service worker, which is spread geographically, if we pay them a bit more straight away... You've got the the multiplier spending effect. domestically. Yeah, yeah. That they will locally. spend in the local economy. Mm. Uh, that's an easy win, isn't it? Just you just got to do it. That's and all. I'm sure Richie Sunak will vote for that tomorrow. <laughs> I don't think Jeremy so. Hart will be backing him. I up. mean, that is the reverse. Is actually the issue, isn't it? As yeah. those, as those salaries decrease and as less money is paid for the paid to the councils, then obviously these areas are drying up for for investment and people are moving out. Yeah. And amongst those, the crazy thing, they can't afford to move to London, so you get a double whammy there. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, I guess they. Yeah, but I mean, and those charismatic leaders. That's what we need. Whoever they, whoever you are. I think that's one thing. If I had to say what was wrong in the last 50 years, it's the lack of political leaders with charisma. Mm. Where was that? Donald Trump when we needed him. 
<laughs> well, we've got uh, Kia. Hmm? Uh, Kia? I must go now. Cause I I'm thought it was a car manufacturer. <laughs> I thought that was Korean. <laughs> Just the mere mention of his name, I'm starting to fall asleep. Uh, we'll leave it there for this week. Uh, I, once again, we haven't solved anything. Well, we have solved. We've we've given the answer. We've given more power to local councils. Just don't do a woking on us. That's all we're asking. Yeah, forget about property uh, speculation, and, uh, please. Uh, leave that to London. And uh, yeah, and yeah, the Boris equivalent, but actually with now some of his charisma, but with uh, with more expertise mm. to help try and. Uh, drive these this new energy into into the regions there we are the answer's there for anyone who wants to take it if you're listening rishi uh, <laughs> or kia oh god done again gotta go now <laughs> stop falling asleep. see you Don't next snore on camera <laughs> so i'll see you next week thanks for listening the debunking economics podcast hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.